It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to this midweek Manchester United podcast with myself, Seb Parkinson and Sam Hutchison. We're not together in the studio today. We are remote because I am down in Bournemouth. Sam, how's it been and what did you make of the Forest game at the weekend? Yes, I'm doing all right. Thank you. Uh, The Forest game, it was a fantastic comeback. I mean, that's what we sort of want to see, even when adversity seems to be facing Manchester United they're coming back and making turning it into a good result and what, in the end, looks like a really good game. So, yeah, what did you think of the game? Yeah, Sam, I had the same reaction as Rio Ferdinand had, which uh, if any of you have seen on his uh, on his Twitter account, he, he, um, he tweeted about the game before the actual Man United Twitter account replied, saying, telling him to come back because uh, United had got one back and then Casemiro had equalised before Rashford got that penalty that Fernandez converted. But honestly, just looking back at the uh, the highlights, United had a corner in the first minute of the game. It was whipped into the near post, defended by Forrest. Two def- two Forrest defenders beat the United player to it. It was it was it was chucked out. It was hoofed into the air. The the player jumped up against Wan Bissaka and beat him to it before Rashford got absolutely outpaced. By the um, by, the Forest forward who, who raced through on goal, the goalkeeper just fell on his backside. I mean, what was that all about? It was the most calamitous Sunday League thing I've ever seen. And before we, you know, we thought he couldn't get any worse. Forest then had a free kick with a free header. United had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players in the box on the six-yard line, and the guy had a free header to make it two-nil straight after, pretty much straight after the kickoff on four minutes. So, you didn't think he could get any worse than he did. Fortunately, when United go 2-0 down inside four minutes against a team like Forrest, no disrespect, every single person expects United to come back and win that game. And I went to put a bet on United to win the game 3-2. And the odds were that short that I just did not bother. They were that short, the odds. It was like it was like 11-8 to or something like that. It was, it was just so short that I just thought, do you know, even if in the unlikely event that United don't come back, which in hindsight, obviously we did, I'm saying it with confidence, that uh, it'd be a waste of a tenner. But they did, and it wasn't worth the. Uh, it wasn't really worth the tenner to to risk, especially with our 86 minutes left on the clock. So that's my summary of the United game, and I'm hoping that when we play Arsenal on uh, on the weekend. That it's a much, much better performance. But, you know, we're going to talk about this, Sam. United's injury woes are a real concern. Eric Ten Hag started off last season with 
two defeats back to back before they got that win against uh, I think it was Liverpool wasn't it at Old Trafford well United have got the same number of points now going into the game with Arsenal but I'm much less confident um, of this game than than I was probably this time last year despite the poor start simply because we've just lost Varane Luke Shaw's out and they're just the injury the injuries are racking up the performances haven't been great and at this stage, Sam, we're going to be knocking on Phil Jones's door and asking him if he wants to come and make a Manchester United return. <laughs> I mean, they joked on Monday in the mainline Manchester's Red podcast that Eric Bailly might actually see some minutes this season. And that would really be a disaster. After all the good work that's been put in, it would be a disaster to see Eric Bailly back in a United shirt, in all honesty. But there are a lot of injury issues mounting up and it it is beginning to look like a real problem for Man United. Yeah, I mean, talk us through Brand's injury, Sam. What what do we know, and and how long is he going to be out for? Well, I mean, it's a hammer blow for Man United. Varane, we all know, is a world class defender. It looks like it'll be a few weeks. You know, it shouldn't be too long after the international break. He should be back in the squad at the very least. The only issue is who comes in for him in the short term, you know, against Arsenal, who are one of the better sides in the league. Who's going to come in and replace Rafael Varane straight away? It's He came off at half-time. It was sort of rumoured that it was going to be a, an injury that was going to keep him out for a while. We did see Martinez come off at half-time previously, and that wasn't an injury that kept him out for a while. So we had hopes that it wasn't going to be as bad as it is. It does look like it will just be a couple of weeks probably replaced by Victor Lindelof. I mean, Harry Maguire is still at the club, but I can't say he's at the top of Eric Ten Hag's thinking when he thinks about replacing a player like Rafael Varane. So it is just a real shame that they've lost him at this point for this game, especially. And with all the other injuries around the squad, you know, Mason Mount will still be out until after the international break. Luke Shaw, Tyrell Molassi are both out. Hoyland, we're going to come on to. There are injuries around the squad that really could hamper United's season before it's even really got going. Yeah, and on top of uh, on top of the injuries, we've also had news that Andre Onana is now going to be uh, part of the Cameroon squad for the uh, the African Cup of Nations qualifiers coming up. So United could be without him, and you know if he somehow gets injured or has any issues while he's on international duty, that would spell disaster. But uh, something we'll talk about in part two is transfers and the the idea of a a Turkish goalkeeper on his way to Old Trafford could be a bit of a uh, a bit of a Brucey bonus that we need, but uh, yeah, um, this could be the making of great players and managers as uh, a and great manager Sam. This uh, this this short period, especially as United play Arsenal, you know we always step up when we play the bigger teams, and you know it, it, the, the the smaller teams step up when they play us. So you know. Let's look ahead at Arsenal and um, what do you think the what do you think the team's going to be this weekend? Well, yeah, I mean, this really could be the making of a great manager in Eric Ten Hag. The whole key is he's got to find a solution to the issues that are given to him. You can't just go out and sign a player because there's a player injured. It looks like a, lo- a short-term loan or a loan for the season for a left-back might be happening. Kukurea, we've seen mentioned, he seems to be the top target at the minute. That would be a really good signing. We'll get onto that in part two, however. And, you know, you can't 
as a manager, as a football club, you can't just go out and sign players to fill gaps that might appear throughout the season. You have got to find a solution that works with the players you've already got. And we don't really, we haven't really seen Eric Ten Hag pushed into that sort of area yet. We've seen Dallow a couple of times at left back. We've seen, you know, Wambasaka came in at right back and he's done really good since he was reinstated to the squad after the World Cup. You know, we've seen sort of Sancho move into central roles, but Ten Hag doesn't seem willing to start with that from from the off in a Premier League game yet. We just, this is a real, something we haven't seen him show off in his skill set at Man United. You know, we haven't seen him find these solutions with these players that are in his squad that maybe aren't getting the minutes that they want or think they deserve and getting these solutions with players in different positions. And he is going to have to figure out a way to get, to deal with his injuries with the players he's already got. You know, there might be a couple more signings before the end of the transfer window, but are they really going to be world beaters? Probably not. Are they going to be good players you'd hope so because it's Manchester United every player that comes through the door should be a good player but Eric Ten Hag is going to have to do a lot of thinking you know is there anything he can do to take the pressure off Dallow at left back is there anything he can do to make sure that Dallow can sort of replicate the output of Luke Shaw is there anything he can do to make sure Lindelof isn't that big a drop off from Rafael Varane Ericsson started against Forest and I would say was better than Mason Mount in his two outings so far this season. But I do think there's still going to be an issue there. Eric Ten Hag bought Mason Mount for a reason. He's clearly got a plan with him. It's it's all a big kerfuffle about these injuries that Eric Ten Hag is going to have to sort out, really. Yeah, and um, you know, obviously United play Arsenal on Sunday, 4.30 kickoff, so it's it's the sort of last game of the weekend. So that, that little bit of uh, added time for any players that are having a little niggles to, to sort themselves out before the international break. United will then play Brighton at Old Trafford on the uh, 16th of September at 3 o'clock kickoff, as it is right now. Brighton are no mugs. You know, they're, they're a team that, that really uh, performed well last season, obviously. Obviously beat United at the beginning of the season as well. So, but then looking ahead to United's fixtures beyond that, United have got, they're away at Burnley, then they got home to Crystal Palace, home to Brentford, away at Sheffield United before the big one on the 29th of October against City. Now, Eric Ten Hag will obviously be looking at those fixtures coming up thinking, Burnley away should be a win. Crystal Palace at home against Dean Anderson, it'll be, should be a win. Brentford at home should be a win and Sheffield United away should be a win and it, it, it should, you know, should be, would be, could be and not always guarantees, of course, in football. But, you know, the positive is that, you know, get the, the Arsenal game out of the way, the international break where we can hopefully see some players like Rafael Varane return and, you know, Malassia might might uh, show signs of recovery and we'll, we'll have to see what the, the extent of Luke Shaw's is because Eric Ten Hag will not say you know, whether Luke Shaw is out for months, weeks or whatever. He says he's out for a matter of weeks, but could be 52 weeks, you know. So things are a bit up in the air with Manchester United at the minute. It's a bit frustrating as, for us as fans as well, because, you know, despite the fact that Eric Ten Hag has been backed in both transfer, both seasons he's been at the club, because typically you'll see a manager come in and they'll be backed in their first window and then the second season they won't be backed and it'll all fall apart. But... Eric Ten Hag has seemingly been backed in both last year and this year, 
But because of all the outgoings that we've had and the, the players that have been aging and come to end of their contracts and, and Deadwood that United have been trying to get rid of, it feels like we, at this stage anyway, you know, and I, I sound like I'm being a negative nanny, it feels like we United haven't really improved, you know, come the end of last season at this stage. And it's early doors, you know, we had a pretty poor results in pre-season and it just feels like we, we're in a bit of a rut at the minute. And I'm saying that with six points on the board after three games, you know, when we're relatively high in the table, it's 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 bizarre, but the mood around the team just feels really down and damp and dour. You know, Anthony Martial made his start at Old Trafford on um, on on Saturday against Forest. He was terrible. He was, he was abysmal. And then it further piles the pressure onto Hoyland when he comes in because it's like the worse these players perform, the more expectation there is on this young lad coming in. And it's like, I really, really want this guy to come in and score a hat-trick of hat-tricks in, uh, in his first three games because that's the, that's the sort of expectation level he's got. And, you know, we saw what Wayne Rooney did when he joined us in uh, in, in the early 2000s, you know, against Fenerbahce, that hat-trick he scored. But um, it's just, I'm, I'm watching thinking... Can he? Could he do that? And, you know, there's a chance that that Burnley game on the 23rd of September is when we might see Hoyland make his first start. You know, he might play against Brighton if he's fit over the uh, international break. But, um, yeah, I just, I don't know, it's a bit of a bit of a weird time to be a Manchester United fan at the minute, especially with the fact that the transfer window is still open. United are hurrying to try and bring in, I think it's Mark Cucurella, isn't it, from Chelsea, trying to get in on a season-long loan to help alleviate the pressure at Luke Shaw. But it's a signing that United didn't want to have to make. We've got other departments of the team that need that need fixing. You know, there's a goalkeeper seemingly on the way in. You know, this left-back situation. But United fans still want a midfielder to to come in, you know, an Amrabat or a, or a Gravenberch to come in. And, you know, there's still potentially a centre-half that needs bringing in. And, and, you know, I'm sure United fans wouldn't turn up the idea of another striker to, to, to replace Martial and you know, give Hoyland a bit of competition up there. And then you've got the situation on the right wing where Anthony's not very good. Sancho's not challenging him and Sancho, an £83 million player, just doesn't seem to be challenging this 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 young Brazilian player who's who's frustrating the life out of everyone. You've got Casemiro who who will improve and you know we know he will improve. We know the calibre of him. But he's he's sort of frustrating himself because he's not got the support around him and Christian Eriksen was brought in to to replace Mason Mount, who who did a job and he scored, which is good, you know, which is a positive. Um, Rashford's not been not been great, you know. He looks frustrated as well, and it just feels like the whole mood around the club is really really frustrated and down at the minute. And I just you need United to go out there and beat Arsenal seven nil to uh, or eight two, as we did um, you know ten years ago or so. To, to lift some spirits at United at the minute because, you know, that Tottenham performance was better than Wolves when it, we got beat 2-0 and it was poor. Then we're 2-0 down to Forest and it's just like, come on, lads, come on. Like, what is going on behind the scenes? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's where I'm at at the minute. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think Hoyland, you just said there, you need to hit the ground running. I do think Hoyland probably will hit the ground running. We know he's not going to come in and score as many goals as Haaland, so he's instantly got that much pressure off him. He does need to come in and make a difference. That's but then he's a seventy-two million pound player. You've got to come in and make a difference. You've got to come in and make a massive difference, really. 
you know, he's got to be starting week in, week out as the striker. Rashford off the left, Anthony off the right. And that will be Eric Ten Hag's front three. I think we can pretty much say that with complete confidence that that will be Eric Ten Hag's first choice front three. I think he will just come in, slot straight into the side. He was, there was rumours that he would be available to make his debut this weekend against Arsenal. He wasn't spotted in training though, um, which might have been the cameras just missing him. The, the images we've got of training might have just been the cameras missing him. They might It might have been, you know, he wasn't in training yet. He wasn't in full squad training, which that could be a real damaging effect to Man United. And he has been picked for the Denmark squad for the international break, which is also a negative for Man United exclusively. Because what if he goes on this international break, they rush him back. It puts a spanner in Ten Hag's works anyway. He get, picks up another injury, say on this international break. You know, Man United have, have got this £70 million player that then they're not playing until Christmas. It's There are a lot of moving parts at work, but I do think if Hoyland can return from the international break, match fit, ready to go, he will slot straight into that side and probably make the difference that Man United need at the minute. Yeah, I mean that. I actually didn't know that that the the Hoyland had been included in that Denmark squad. You know, I was thinking about it when I was talking to you a minute ago. I was thinking, surely he isn't. If he's not fit to play for his club, there's absolutely no way he's fit enough to play for his country. And you know, other injuries that United have got: Kobe Mainu, you know, an ankle injury. His return is currently stated as unknown. And then you've got Ahmad, and and you you, know, you have got players waiting in the wings like Facundo Palestri, but. You know, if, if he's not getting a look in when Anthony's frustrating, you know, will he ever play? And again, it's it's early days, and I don't want to sound like I'm just having a having a whinge for the sake of having a whinge. It's just this is this is how it feels as a Manchester United fan right now, watching that team. If if we were comfortably beating teams like Wolves three and four nil, and and you know, not conceding two goals in four minutes against Forest, the mood would be completely different. And you know. Potentially, we could be talking about papering over the cracks, which is what we've done, you know, or especially I've done for the past few years. But um, no, I mean, Ten Hag's going in the right direction. His signings are starting to show the cracks that they didn't show last season in terms of the the astuteness of the purchase. You know, Molassi is injured but can't get a look in overshore. Anton is, you know, perpetually uh, frustrating people. Casemiro hasn't been amazing, but, you know, I think that he will be and and that's not one I've got any real concern over Ericsson is uh, is sort of coming to the end of his lifespan as a as a as a as a professional footballer he hasn't got the engine that he had when he was at Spurs and that's something that you need in a, a club like United especially as a starter so again I feel like I'm just constantly having a having a moan but uh, let's wrap part one up there Sam let's uh, let's jump straight into part two and we'll uh, we'll have a look at some transfers and try and get a bit more of a positive spin I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Midweek Man United pod. We've had a bit of a bit of a decompression from uh, from the last few weeks at Man United but now we're going to we're going to look at the transfer situation at Old Trafford and see who's coming in and who is going out so Sam deadline day is approaching it's 11 p.m. on the 1st of September which I think is this Friday um United have been linked with Pierre Emil Hoiberg from Spurs that one was really sort of sent me sideways when I read it and I tweeted about it saying, oh, he's a Scandinavian lad with a with a name beginning with H. That seems to be United's transfer policy at the minute. So we've now got Hoiberg, Amrabat, Gravenberch, a three players that United have been linked with. Just run us through these players and who would be the best fit and why and, and why not, if not. Yeah, I mean, the Hoiberg links seem to make a lot of sense. You know, Eric Ten Hag is looking for a number six, play back up to Casemiro or play alongside Casemiro. Hoybier is a number six who's out of favour at Spurs at the minute. You know, we saw Spurs' midfield has been really strong under Ange Postacoglu. Hoybier's not been part of that. He's not been getting that many minutes for Spurs. And, you know, he, he has worked under Ten Hag before, which seems to be a Ten Hag trait. You know, he'll only sign you if you've worked for him before. But and that's at Bayern under 21s, I believe. Bayern's youth sides when Eric Ten Hag was there. Hoybier was also there. And... I don't actually hate this signing if it is going to happen. I do think he's probably the perfect solution and out of favour if you can get him on a loan. You know, that's not a permanent deal. If Scott McTominay looks like there's rumours picked up against about him again, Bayern Munich reportedly want him as their number six for the rest of the season, which would be a fantastic move for Scott McTominay and probably a good move for Man United as well. You know, we'll, we'll there's a lot of like I say, moving parts here. Hoybier will only come in probably if McTominay leaves, whereas Amrabat would be able to slot into the squad and there's already a gap in that squad now for him. I do think Hoybier has certain qualities that are a lot more similar to Casemiro than Amrabat has that are similar to Casemiro. You know, Amrabat's a real deep ball progressor, whereas Hoybier is a lot more of a destroyer mould of defensive midfielder. I do. I am a, a reasonably big fan of Hoybier. You know, as big a fan as I can be of Hoybier as a player. But he is a good footballer. He is Premier League proven. Yeah, he's worked under Ten Hag before. That's really you can't count that against his name. He's out of favour. He'd probably be really cheap. He'd be suitable for at least this season if it is a loan if it's longer than a loan he'd be suitable for at least like you know a couple more seasons I don't know just how old he is I'd guess he's near 29 30 now he is he is oh he was born in 1995 so that makes him 28 ish so he's, he's 28 years old you know he can do a job in 
a midfield in the Premier League. I don't think it's a bad signing. For the the problem there is if you get Hoybier, you probably don't go get Amrabat. I mean, we've seen links today. We've got it on the website now. Amrabat's been linked yet again heavily. United are working on a deal to sign Sofia and Amrabat, and I do think that would be a good signing. I've said this since the start. I'm still not a massive fan of the Gravenberg signing. I don't see what he brings different to United enough to be able to make his name in that squad. I don't think he takes Mason Mount's role, especially with the amount of money that's gone on Mason Mount already this summer. I don't think he takes Fernandez's role. He'd be coming in as a backup. Whereas I think Amrabat can offer something that Man United don't already have in the squad. If I was going to rank them in terms of who I'd like to see come in, it'd be Amrabat, Hoybier, Gravenberg in that order. But to be honest with you, I don't think any of the signings would be absolute shockers. I'm not going to be sat there rinsing Eric Ten Hag on YouTube or on Twitter for not for signing any of those players. But I do think Amrabat's got to be that first choice. And for a club like Manchester United, you've got to be signing that first choice. Yeah, it's really frustrating seeing United constantly being linked with players on loan or this, that and the other. And it's like, like a club like Manchester United should just be able to go out there, tell tell the club who they want, pay the money and bring the player in. And it's really frustrating seeing the fact that that's just not happening. And, um, you know, we've been talking about, we have, we have transfer sagas where you get like a big name player that's linked to Manchester United the whole summer, like a Fabregas or a Gareth Bale. But, you know, I remember at Heuberg and Gravenberch and, and none of that. So if United really wanted them, they should just be able to go out and get them. And it's really frustrating that the fact that that's not happening. Um, moving on to the goalkeeper situation, then Dean Henderson looks like he's on the way to Crystal Palace. United are bringing in uh, Bayendir from Fenerbahce, is it? Fred sort of leaked the news <laughs> by saying he was going to a good club and this, that and the other. So we're pretty much certain that that's, that's going to happen. So, you know, what do you know about the Henderson move to Palace? How much is he going for and uh, what are the ins and outs of that? Yeah, so Henderson, it'll be... It's a strange one to see Henderson go. You know, he's been a Man United fan his entire life. He always had this promise of being Man United's first choice goalkeeper. It looks like he is now on the way. He's all but announced on his way to Crystal Palace. He will be starting goalkeeper for Crystal Palace. Currently, they've got Sam Johnston in net, who, no shade against him, is a good goalkeeper, but he's not quite on the level of Dean Henderson. Vincente Gaeta, who was their first choice. Yeah, exactly. Of course, Sam Johnston was ex-Manchester United as well. Well, he is ex-Manchester United. He was at Man United once upon a time. Vincente Gaeta was their first choice last season. They've had a bit of a falling out. Him and Roy Hodgson or him and the club have had a bit of a falling out. So Palace are in need of goalkeeper. United are looking to sell. It looks like his time under Eric Ten Hag never really got started and it was never really going to be a regular thing for Dean Henderson, unfortunately. It is a shame, I would say, as a, a from a sort of standpoint of he is a Man United fan, he'd give his all for the badge. He'd love to play in a Man United side at Old Trafford regularly. But that's just not how it works out in football sometimes. And, you know, maybe we'll see him come back and, absolutely be a curse to Manchester United and he'll keep a clean sheet in the games against Palace this season. We just don't know, but it, it, it is a shame for you Man United fans at home to see a homegrown lad leave the club 
under such sort of a, a dark cloud, really, under what was once had the shades of a promising career. Yeah, and the, yeah, the lad who's coming in to replace him then, essentially, Bay and Deer, what's, uh, what do you know about him? I know we talked about him last week, but the, uh, the the talks about him coming in have pretty much been confirmed, as I said earlier, from Fred. So uh, should we be excited or is he just going to fill a gap? I do think this is a cause for excitement at the very least. It shows that there is a sort of succession plan. He's only 25, which for a goalkeeper is not old at all. He was Fenerbahce's captain last season, which goes under the radar. He was a really crucial player for Fenerbahce last season as they came second in the Turkish League. He is clearly a capable goalkeeper. You know, the Turkish League, the standard fluctuates year on year. Some years it'll be a really good... We'll see a couple of, a couple of teams in the Champions League. We'll see a couple of really good players out there. But... You, we, it's it's hard to judge before the season started how just how good these sort of players are. But to, Fenerbahce brought in a new first choice goalkeeper in Don, Dominic Lavakovic, who was Croatia's number one during the World Cup. They brought him in. Bayern Deer. He looks cheap. He looks pretty good. He's young. He'll be able to do a job for all Manchester United, and that gives Eric ten Hag what he wanted at Ajax. Because there's that story about he was at when he was at Ajax. His first choice goalkeeper, Onana, was suspended. His second choice goalkeeper then picked up an injury and then he was left with Pasvir, who was 41 years old, had been a third choice goalkeeper his entire career, who then came into the side and actually did a really good job and ended up getting picked for the Netherlands World Cup squad just this season. But there is... He, Eric Ten Hag has always said he said in interviews previously he wants three first choice goalkeepers that would be Onana by India and Tom Heaton and in all honesty that is a pretty solid lineup for three goalkeepers the only issues are by India is pretty unproven I guess there's the research has been done you know I, ha- I can't lie and say I have seen any of Fenerbahce whilst by India has been playing but the research will have been done and he's probably a very much a like-for-like ball-playing goalkeeper, much like Onana is. He'll be able to come in, he'll be able to have that same level of confidence in his defence and his defence, more importantly, will be able to have that same level of confidence in him that was missing, which was why David De Gea didn't get that new contract. Yeah, speaking of David De Gea, I've seen some videos of him circulating on social media, of him doing some training, wearing a... uh... I think it's a New York Giants jersey or something like that. Some American basketball or football team. My my knowledge on uh, American sport is very patchy, so forgive me. But uh, moving on. Uh, so Mark Cucurella coming at left back. We've 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 talked about him earlier on. What's the what's the script with this deal then? So Chelsea bought him from Brighton, one of the top performers. I think Graham Potter brought him in, didn't he? When he when he joined, you know, a really good performing player. But at Chelsea, he's just been pretty pretty drab and but saying that all the players that Chelsea signed I think have been pretty drab you know they brought that Mudrick in didn't they on the eight-year contract and he's not been not been amazing so I don't really want to judge Cucurella from his time at Chelsea but I think this is actually quite a good move for United I actually quite like it Sam so you know what can you tell us yeah I also like this move I think as last minute left back to go Cucurella's really that top level, you know, we saw links to like Marcos Alonso and, you know, Sergio Reguilon. Neither have played regular first team football for the majority of this season. 
And the last couple of seasons, they haven't played really regular first-team football. Cucurella was a key part of the the machine at Brighton under Potter. He was a key part of the sort of the way Potter wanted to play at Chelsea. It didn't work out at Chelsea, but it didn't really work out for anybody at Chelsea. I do think that Cucurella, as it goes, is probably a really smart signing, especially on a loan. This is, let's not forget, this is a player, a man who was at one point the most expensive fullback in the world. He might even still be the most expensive fullback in the world. And that's not to be laughed at. That's not to be scoffed at, really. He is this sort of talented left back. It's it's a clever move at the very least. You know, he was good at Brighton, didn't work out at Chelsea. You know, it was never going to work out at Chelsea. It was a poor side last season and they had a really poor season. That, you know, if it was, it, it's gone under the radar, just quite how bad last season was. You know, Chelsea not coming in the top half with all of that money spent. All of these super, superstar footballers in their side not working out, not blending well together. It is a, it is just a, a shocking season all round for Chelsea. But Cucurella's come out of it with probably his ego a bit damaged and probably his reputation a bit damaged, but he was at one point a £60 million left-back that, I mean, managers like Pep Guardiola wanted. And we've seen what Pep Guardiola's done with fullbacks in the past. If he shows half of that promise as this backup left-back to Luke Shaw, I don't think it's a bad signing at all. Do you think he could come in with the intention of signing him on a permanent deal in the summer or is is this purely a long move? I think if it works out well, there's always that option for Man United. You know, it's such a it's such a massive club that everybody wants to play for Manchester United. If the if he comes in and does really fantastically well, we see him return to his Brighton form. We there's a, every chance that that becomes a permanent move. And I think, in all honesty, he's re, he's probably a, one of the more versatile footballers in the league at the minute. He's, he, we've seen him play left wing back. We've play, seen him play as a left-sided centre-half in a back three. We've seen him play as a left-back. We've seen him play inverted. We've seen him play high and wide. I do think if Eric Ten Hag wants to experiment with his full-backs at the very least, Cucurella, if you can't have Luke Shaw, Cucurella's probably the next best option that Manchester United is realistic for. And like I say, I do think there is always that view to a permanent deal if someone works out. Like there was always that view with Sabitzer. If Sabitzer had come in and been fantastic, Manchester United would have been chasing him down as this permanent signing in midfield. As it turns out, Sabitzer wasn't. He's gone back on loan. He's gone back from his loan to Bayern Munich since signed for Borussia Dortmund. Career carries on. The club carries on. So I think the loan is probably the cleverer move, especially if it doesn't work out. We see him show some of his Chelsea form. I do think, you know, there's there's a real chance for Cucurella to get his career back on track. Yeah, and he was Brighton's player's player of the season and player of the season, 21-22. So he's not, you know, he's no mug. He's no uh, he's no under-the-radar player. He is, a, he is a, a consistent performer. So it's hopefully, if he does come in and, you know, gives uh, Luke Shaw that, that chance to recuperate, um, then he, you know, he'll slot straight in and be, and be a success. Now, Sam, the last sign-in that we want to talk about here, and it's not a player, 
It is a director of football is the next most important signing. Now, why do you want to talk about that? And what have you got to say on the matter as to why that will help Manchester United improve going forward? Yeah, so I put this in the notes as I just think it's so important that after this summer, especially Man United divert from this has he played under Eric Ten Hag sort of way of aiming for transfers. I think Eric Ten Hag's hit list is probably about 50-50 now on transfers. And the issue is that there's not a massive view to players that haven't played, say for Ajax or for Eric Ten Hag at, say, Utrecht or Bayern Munich's under-21s. And I think a lot of the links, it's, it's lazy to link some of these players to the club because there's not a spot in the in the squad for them. It's they basically played under Eric Ten Hag and then, you know, play clubs will come to Manchester United and offer players on loan and they'll know that Man United that Eric Ten Hag's already a big fan. He might be the one who gave them their big breakout at Ajax or he might have been the one that progressed them through the ranks at Utrecht. We just we know that there's that sort of offer of, you know, Eric Ten Hag's had so many good players play under him. But top clubs around the world have got these directors of football who will bring the players in and then the managers do the work to make these players into incredible signings. You know, just as an example off the top of my head, Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool came in. All Liverpool fans, most people in football knew he was a good manager Liverpool had a director of football who then was already doing the scouting. There was already a plan in place to bring in some players, to bring in certain players that would suit Klopp's style. You know, Mohamed Salah came in from his time at Chelsea. You would never have thought, oh yeah, that man's going to be one of the best players in the league for a couple of years. He was then out at Fiorentina, did okay, went out to Roma, turned into a pretty decent goal-scoring winger in the Serie A. And then Liverpool went and signed him. There was a lot of scrutiny and it's worked out fantastically. And that's all come from the director of football, knowing what he's looking at and knowing the world of football a lot more broader than how a manager can. You know, a manager's focus is always going to be on the club that he's managing. Eric Ten Hag is looking for solutions at all points to issues in his Manchester United squad. Whereas he needs to be looking at players around the world that can come in and really give him a selection headache rather than just being a solution to an issue. I do think before January, probably as soon as the takeover goes through, we still don't have any updates on a takeover. If a takeover is not going to go through, I think the Glazers have got to go and get a director of football. I think it's the first order for if there if a takeover does go through whichever successful party, the first order has got to be a director of football who can work in tandem with Eric Ten Hag. You know, we've seen Lissandro Martinez. That's a, a massive success at Manchester United. That's Eric Ten Hag's suggestion. Players like Anthony, no other club would have gone and spent nearly a hundred million on Anthony. But Eric Ten Hag wanted to. I think with a director of football there working in tandem with him, you analyse some of those options, you know, Eric Ten Hag needs a left-back, whatever. Your director of football would already have a shortlist of left-backs drawn up. It looks like Cucurella is a smart signing. We don't know if Manchester United have just stumbled across that as a smart signing, you know. But, like, a defensive midfielder needs to come in. 
a director of football would already have a list of possible targets, possible players. Eric Ten Hag would have gone to a director of football and said, I want my I want this defensive midfielder to do this. I want them to be this sort of age profile. Director of football's job is to then identify these targets and see what they're available for. And it's a lot of work for Eric Ten Hag to be doing all on his own, which is what he has been doing since he came in. And that's why he's, his transfers have had such a hit and miss rate, really. But did we not have that in Ralph Rangnick? Was that not supposed to be his role and then he left? So, you know, maybe maybe the reason we haven't got a director of football is because Eric Ten Hag wants to be the leader and the manager. I understand that he'll get to a point where he probably can't simply because there needs to be he needs to focus on the football. Um, but you know there, there is that and um, and yeah well it's a good point Sam and uh, well we'll wrap that up for, for part two and I'm going to leave you now Sam and it's going to be you and Charlie our Football London reporter who's going to help you preview the Arsenal game in a bit more detail than what we would usually do on this podcast so thank you for having me Sam and uh, I look forward to listening to the rest of the pod for everybody listening welcome to part three United fans, I'm joined today by Charlie from our colleagues at Football London. Hello, Charlie. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Uh, to be fair, I'm looking forward to this weekend. I mean, we'll, we'll obviously get into it, but yeah, it's it's always a big game. Arsenal, man, you, it's it's, it's going to be actually a really good game, I think. Yeah, it's lost a bit of its panache from when Vieira and Keane were going at it in the tunnel, but it's still a massive game. So, Charlie... How's Arsenal's season going so far? Is there anything that's really been bad or fantastically good so far from Arsenal? Uh, you know what? I think compared to last season for Arsenal, with, with how well we did, with well, with how well we did last season, it's it, it's let's just say average. I think we've been we've been quite we've done quite well. I get I I'd say against against Forest that was quite comfortable, and then all of a sudden they scored towards the end of the game, and it was all kind of like meet and greet towards the, I think it was like the last 10 or so minutes and that was getting quite choppy. Uh, and then we moved on to Palace, which it just seems, it. you know what, we, it was quite, we were quite sloppy every so often and it wasn't quite working for Arsenal. But we obviously managed to, we managed to get a penalty to him. We actually got a red card and then that was, that was very difficult for us. I think it was around the 76th minute or something like that, uh, that we then just needed to, well, we were defending Almost for our lives, really, and we—I I would say that we were quite quite lucky to come out with uh, with three points there. But you know what, our defense did really well there. But and then moving on to Fulham, I, I think there were a lot of negatives to take out of that game. I must say, the I, I'm just going back to the Palace game where I was saying that we were sloppy. We were very very sloppy just throughout this whole Fulham game, really. Nothing was happening. We kept on giving the ball away. I mean, the first goal that Fulham scored within the first minute, I think that's the third out of nine Premier League games that Arsenal have uh, conceded within the first minute uh, at home at the Emirates. And it's just not good enough, really, in terms of our defence and what's kind of going on, the being alert, etc. I mean, there's a back pass from Bukayo Saka and uh, Pereira, former Man U player, of course, who ended up picking it up and just, I mean, sl- I guess slotted it past Ramsdale. He he was kind of wrong-footed. He was he just wasn't in the right positions. 
So yeah, just very average, I think. And then, I mean, we ended up picking it up towards the end of the game, but it just, yeah, it just wasn't good enough. We were quite, I'd say we were quite unfortunate to end up with with one point at the end of it because of how well we ended up playing probably after the 60 minutes. But even so, yeah, there, there were a lot of poor kind of points from that game. But yeah, it's it. hopefully we can do a bit better coming into the rest of the season after three games. And I mean, on paper, it doesn't look that bad. Two wins and a draw. What has been Arsenal's biggest strength so far this season? Uh, you know what? I, I think it must kind of be that right-hand side where Bakayo Saka is. I mean, he's... He's done phenomenally for us. He he always does. Really, he's a, he's he's a constant in Arsenal's side that you you can nearly always rely on him. And we do seem to be kind of like pressing down that right hand side, maybe a little bit more than the left hand side. And sometimes we see a little switch from the right to the left, but that's not that doesn't happen too often. Um, we always seem to kind of work our way around the right-hand side. Sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. But because of Bukayo Saka's kind of his quality, his, uh, he, he, the fact that he can use both feet, I think that adds a lot of danger to Arsenal's attack. Uh, you don't, the Well, the players, the defenders don't know whether he's going to be going onto either foot because he can, he can cross it in, he can obviously have a shot. We've seen so many times where he's just ended up coming up He's 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 got he's kind of cut in like the edge of the box and then had a shot and it's gone in and we saw that at literally the first game of the season against Nottingham Forest fantastic goal so there's that but then I would say that's a bit more of a strength than our defense our defense has seemed to it's weird because it seems really really good at times it really does like I was mentioning against Palace and I was thinking God that how are teams really going to be able to get through this when we're kind of being pummeled for fit a good 15, 20 minutes and they're not able to get through. And Palace at home, they're, they're a decent side. I think it's a, actually quite a difficult kind of ground to go to, Selhurst Park. And I was thinking, oh God, yeah. It's Arsenal's defence, it's, it's improving. I don't know how it can after last season. I mean, I don't know how it can, but it is. And... Then we moved on to Fulham and then we just make a mistake. So it's really weird. It's kind of a almost bipolar kind of time for Arsenal with, with our defence. We don't know whether it's good. We don't know whether it's bad. Arsenal, uh, Arteta, he seems to kind of be mixing it up in terms of the the structure and formation, the lineup that we're having, especially at the back with Gabriel. He's not, he's not playing much at all. And we thought that he would be. So it is odd, but yeah, I'd say the right-hand side probably is our strength. Um, maybe maybe the left-hand side as well, just Gabriel Martinelli and Saka just together. The, they're quite, they're quite a, a, an electric duo up front for Arsenal. And yeah, they're, they're quite threatening more often so than not. So yeah, I'd say that's probably our strength. And... I mean, you've, I'm sure you know, Man United have got some issues at left-back. Luke Shaw is injured, Tyrell Molassi is still injured. Dallow played there at the weekend and it wasn't a vintage performance from him. Is that somewhere that Arsenal could really take advantage? Like you just mentioned there, they're right. your right wing is the best part of your side. It looks like right now, Man United's left-hand side of the defence is one of the weaker areas of the team. Do you think that would be a really 
key point of where this game is won or lost? I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that is kind of what happens um, because of what I was mentioning about Bukayo Saka and the kind of danger we hold on that right-hand side. But I'm just going to quickly go back to what I was talking about with Arteta's kind of like structure and formation. Because we've been playing Ben White on the kind of like right-hand side, of, the right-hand side of a three, it's, he doesn't offer as much going kind of like on an overlap for Bukayo Saka. So last season we saw time and time again, both Bukayo Saka and Ben White would be attacking together. He would overlap Saka and kind of offer an extra kind of pass to to get that cross in. And he would kind of drag the, the left back or, or left side of centre back with him. And then it opens a bit of space up for Saka. And hopefully, personally, we would be seeing that a little bit more against Man U. And I think if we do, then that will definitely pose a problem for Manchester United in that in the left back, kind of left centre back kind of role on their on their left hand side anyway. Um and we saw it we, we even saw it against uh it I think literally the this fixture last season at the Emirates when we won three two against Man U. Uh when Saka scored. Outside the box, he was able to cut in. I think Ben White did actually run behind him for that overlap. He's dragged someone out and Saka's got a bit of open space and he's gone for it. And hopefully we will be able to see that. I mean, right now, uh, Partey has obviously been playing a right back, a kind of inverted right back, which is odd, but I can see what Arteta's trying to do with it. But he doesn't offer as much as Ben White does going forward on that right-hand side in terms of crossing. We see when Arsenal have the ball that Partey kind of he drops into the holding midfield role, which which is kind of his his natural position. Um, so it's yeah, it's a bit weird with Arsenal and the structure that we have at the moment, as I was mentioned a couple of times earlier. But that could but we could definitely kind of take advantage of that if if Man U have had problems, let's say, in the last couple of games. We've obviously say uh, Shaw's been injured. Dallo, he wasn't up to scratch essentially last game. So with a player of Saka's quality, and I think he uh, he produces three. I think so far this season, anyway, it's an average of three got uh, three shots a game. He's already got two goals in three in three games as well. Albeit one of them's a penalty, but even so, he I think he's almost three dribbles a game as well. So. Yeah, if that's a weak point for Manchester United, I'm sure that Arteta, Arsenal, Saka will try and exploit it. And maybe Man U might think, oh, Arsenal are going to. And if that does happen, you might over, you might bring a few players over. You might double up, triple up on Saka, Ben White, Partey, whatever. But then that will leave a gap open on the left-hand side for Gabriel Martinelli, our left-back, whoever's over there, maybe even Havertz, whatever. And we've seen it uh, a few times this season where Partey, Sacco, everyone on the right-hand side has been able to switch it over to that left-hand side. Martinelli's in a load of space and he's able to dribble it into the box, cut in, have a shot. Sometimes he doesn't have a shot, which is quite frustrating sometimes. Sometimes he needs to shoot when he... uh, But sometimes he doesn't. Hopefully we'll see that a little bit more personally anyway as an Arsenal fan. Um, but that's that's what kind of Arsenal hold in terms of the their presence up front. If someone, if a team kind of overloads on one side, it leaves a massive gap over on the left-hand side, let's say, for example, and we're able to switch it 
sometimes fairly easily, especially with the kind of range of passing that Odegaard has. So that would obviously be another thing that Man U will need to look at whether they need to, whether they're able to kind of double, triple up on, on Bukayo Saka if that side is weak. And, I mean, on the topic of injuries, are there anywhere in Arsenal's side that have been weakened by injury or weakened by transfers so far this summer? Anybody that Man United could really exploit in the Arsenal side? Um, that So our, our left-back side, our left-back really as well, because we've seen that Yuri and Timber, he's had an injury that, well, <laughs> he's out for almost the whole of the season, really, unfortunately, with that ACL. And he, when, I, when I saw him against, well, the amount of minutes that he played against Forest and in the Carabao Cup against Man City. I was like, oh, finally, we've got a really, really good left-back here who's defensively really good. He's good on the ball, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas when we had Zinchenko playing left-back, for example, he he was kind of, there was a bit of space left behind him. He wasn't as good defensively as we'd hoped. And Timber offered that, offered what kind of Zinchenko didn't, unfortunately, which it well, I say unfortunately because he's obviously out. When we and then we brought Tim uh, Tomiyasu in uh, against Palace, albeit his red card was very very harsh in my opinion. The drop off from Tomiyasu and Timber, in my opinion, it it was too big for Arsenal to kind of handle the the quality that some teams have, especially the likes of of Manchester United, and it might be quite difficult for Arsenal. And with the setup that we've been having so far, it's kind of been a kind of, sorry, a left back or full back slash centre back that plays on the kind of outer of the back three for Arsenal. So where, say we push up, it almost seems so. Tommy Asi on the left-hand side, Saliba in the middle, Ben White on the right. You see those two outer centre backs are almost full backs as well. And... I don't know whether Zinchenko would fit into that, whether we'll need to kind of convert back to the structure that we had at the end of last season. I don't know. And if Tomiyasu does play, as I mentioned, that drop-off, it's quite it's quite big uh, in terms of quality. And it could be quite difficult for Arsenal to kind of handle it, to kind of handle it. But we do have the quality of, say, William Saliba, etc. That can that can jump in if if need be, but they can't do that every. He can't do that every single time a ball goes behind. He can't be expected to to provide that kind of backup option every single time. So that may be another point for Manu to exploit. I think that's that's really the point that Arsenal also need to improve on again. Um, I mean, as well with. With, I mean, I'm going to say Havertz against against Fulham, he was not good enough, not at all. Uh, so that's that was the kind of Shaka role last season, that left hand sided centre mid, and obviously he's obviously he's off to uh, buy buy Leverkusen. He's he's actually been playing all right, but even so, Havertz is kind of trying to do a little bit of a defensive role, but also switch with what I well. Personally, I've seen. I think that he's trying to switch every so often with with our striker. So, say, say Trossard, he he started against Fulham. They seem to be switching every so often, but then that can leave a massive gap in midfield if they're in the kind of like transition of switching. As I mentioned, that will leave a massive gap in midfield if Manu are then to turn the ball over. 
and then they can go on that attack. And then that leaves Tomiyasu. I'm sure it'll be Tomiyasu or Zinchenko. All the kind of work that they need to do with no backup or, or almost no one in front of them that can stop them because there's that big gap. And I mean, uh, Fabio Vieira came on uh, against Fulham uh, and he, he he almost transformed the game for Arsenal. He he won the penalty and he almost he, he also got the assist for Nketiah's goal. And I think that he should be starting over Havertz after that last performance. However, last season, I didn't think that uh, Vieira was up to scratch. I, I, I think that he was probably our worst player of the season. So it's... It's a difficult one because if Vieira starts over Havertz in that left-hand side, it could be quite detrimental for Arsenal. And it could also be the same with Havertz. If he starts there, it could be quite detrimental. We don't really have a kind of... We don't have another Shaka, essentially. And that might mean that we that we could see Partey and Declan Rice in the midfield. Uh, but that, that would mean that Arsenal's kind of system would be different to what we've seen in the in the first three games. So it's actually going to be a difficult one for Arsenal. But overall, that left-hand side for Arsenal, the the, the position that Havertz has been playing in and what I'd expect to be Tommy Asu, that's probably our weakest point. And because they're both on the left-hand side for us, that right-hand side for Man U could actually be a good kind of opportunity, a good window to attack. And just finally, what would your goalkeeper through striker look like for Arsenal? Just so that the Man United fans listening to this can have a sort of image of what to expect going into the game. Ramsdale in goal, Partey right back, Ben White, Saliba, Tomiyasu, and then we're going to go Vieira, Rice, Odegaard, Saka and Ketia Martinelli. Perfect, thank you. Lovely to talk to you and I hope you lose this weekend. Thank you for listening, Manchester United fans. Go and check us out across all social medias and, most importantly, go and check out the website. We have all the biggest Manchester United news in the build-up to deadline day and this Arsenal fixture. But, Man United fans, thank you for listening. See you next time.